You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin. Hey, Kyle. And JT English. What's up, Kyle? Hey, you guys doing all right? Yeah, we're here. Long yeah. weekend. It was a long weekend. It has seminar, been. But it's been good, man. It has been. A big launch of t- yeah. new stuff at TBC, mission statement, mm-hmm. vision statement. It's yes. been good. And uh, on today's episode, we have Sam Alberry. Hey, Sam. Hey, it's good to be with you. We are so glad to have you. Sam is a pastor, author, and speaker. He is the author of books like Is God Anti-Gay? Seven Myths About Singleness, Why Bother with the Church? And the forthcoming book, Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? And so we hope you enjoy the discussion. All right, we're here with Sam Alberry. Sam, it's glad to have you on. Glad to be here. Did you say it's you glad? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every stereotype I have about Americans and uh, the English language was just confirmed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. we done good. We done good getting you on, Sam. Real good. And we'd be glad for the getting and glad that you're here. Uh, Sam, you, you share something in common with the host of the show, which is which you. Which is the host of the show? All of us are. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. But mostly Kyle. <laughs> well, you know, I don't want to claim that kind of credit. I really see us as co-hosts together. <laughs> One host, three persons. That's right. uh, well, well done. Wow. No, I'm just trying to Meta. measure for the time when we hit real controversy, but then I can say I'm merely one of three hosts <laughs> on Knowing Faith. But uh, you share something in common with the three of us. You enjoy the West Wing. I do. Yes. I do. Okay, so what character do you most identify with on the show? This is such a great question. <laughs> I'm um, laughing because I have one in my mind, but it's only because of how you speak. Yeah, not him. Okay. <laughs> um, Gerald, is that your name? Uh, um, <laughs> These are some Sam, deep cuts. Sam Seaborn, because I, that, that experience yes. of writing and writing, thumping the desk, throwing it in the trash can. Mm. I spend like a, a lot of it's time. Like weekly sermon preparation. Yeah. And yeah. I, I write words to be spoken. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, there are times it's like pulling teeth. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't hurt that he's also the most noble guy on the show, right? <laughs> yeah. That, that's where the similarity starts to, starts to win. And he's called Sam. So. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess I didn't even think about that. Sam Seaborn. It's the same name. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. I mean, if you're going to be a character on the show, Sam Seaborn is a good one to be. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I love Sam. Well, how does the not we- Mandy? How does the West Wing? No, oh, nobody. That's gosh. like the worst offense you can give. Uh huh. Yeah. You remind me of Mandy. You remind me of Mandy. Yeah. Whatever happened to her? She just disappears. Said that to me before. I, uh, I meant I'd it. I just like to warn our listeners today that JT is. Extra spicy today. Yeah, he's he tried already to, tried to startle the, me in the parking lot and capture it on film. I did. Anybody who wants that, just DM me on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be sending that out. That's right. Okay. I, I can't. Uh, I can't publicly send it out, but I can. Now, I can disperse it. Now, to Sam, others. Sam, do you know that JT is infamous for jump scares? Is this something I that do. You, I've experienced? This really? Yeah. Okay. I've, it's I've, a way for me to communicate affection. Love, care. It's so surprising that nobody who experiences it receives it that way. (laughs) Before Sam tells us his own experience of JT, I would like to know how long had you known JT at the point that he tried to scare you? Um, Actually, well, I first met you when you were still in Louisville. Yeah, You gave me a tour of Dr. Mola's office. I did. I remember that with Um, with Denny. And then I came, I think you moved here soon Mm -hmm. after that. Yep. Um, Then I came here. So I I hadn't known him long Not very long. Right, right. But I felt like I got to know. But I felt like you were my brother. I was like, yeah, yeah. We, we've we've crossed that threshold. And if we haven't, this is going to be awkward, and that's okay too. <laughs> uh, one thing that was super fun, just that I want to highlight before we get started, is so Sam was really the first person to kind of kick off 
what is now the Village Church Institute. Like we started this podcast as kind of a byproduct of what God was doing in the Institute and in our Bible studies and training program. But you were the first event, uh, the forum that you did for us on Is God Anti Gay? So you first, first of all, you preached for us. Uh, and it was one of the best sermons on Trinitarianism and prayer. Oh, yeah. it, it, is, it was the best. Yeah, that, that's that's go, what I need to go say. Go to tvcresources.net, find the sermon. Find the Sam Mallory sermon. I mean, like, yes. you gave an analogy of, like, the flight attendant. I mean, it was just yes, I remember so, so clearly. I mean, that was yep. five years ago. That's how powerful it was for me. Uh, and then a few days later, we hosted a forum on Is God Anti-Gay? We hosted it at all of our campuses, live-streamed, and there was, I think, about 100,000 people who watched it online shortly thereafter. And it it really was the lightning in the bottle event that we kind of needed to really gain some credibility with our people. And it was just, I mean, like, honestly, I, I credit that forum and that week to really setting us on a trajectory that we're still kind of riding the wave of. I was serving at the Dallas campus at the time, which is 40 minutes south of the live location where the forum was happening. And <clears throat> about 20 minutes prior to the kickoff, buses started pulling into the parking lot. And we were, we were talking to people, and they had driven for hours to get here, taking church buses, a school bus, a charter bus. We had no idea what to do with all these people. I mean, it blew the walls off. We had people in every room streaming it to every possible screen we had. So I'm not saying this just because you're on and I'm trying to give you a compliment before we start, but genuinely, you contributed meaningfully to the ministry of the Village Church, and we're still reaping the benefits mm-hmm. of those few days. So thank you. It was a joy to be here, and I had no idea half that stuff was going on, probably just as well. Yeah, the, Lord, it, mm-hmm. the Lord does what he wants. It was madness. Yeah. madness. We've had some other forums that didn't go as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to talk about like, that. Like, 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 like the name Voldemort, those that <laughs> shall right. not be named. That's right. Uh, so, Sam, you've written a number of books, and I didn't want to talk about any one of them in particular. But you've written books like Is God Anti-Gay, Seven Myths About Singleness, Why Bother with the Church. You have another book coming out, I believe, this year? Yeah, a couple of, uh, a few weeks' time. Okay. Um, and so— What's that book on? Uh, it's Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? Okay. So it's meant to be an evangelistic book on sure. the Christian sexual ethic. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, that's great. So I want to talk about something that I think stands as kind of a foundation beneath much of what you've written, which is Union with Christ— and belonging in the church. Yeah. So when I read your work, those two things, they shine forth. Implicitly, when you're speaking about other issues, and mm. explicitly whenever you're trying to tie the core topics that you're discussing or that you're treating to a strong foundation, the strongest foundation. Yeah, there have been, I think, two times in my Christian life where I felt like I've almost being converted again. One was when I first began to really understand the doctrine of the Trinity and I suddenly thought, I feel like I'm now just starting the Christian life. Yeah. And the other was when I began to understand union with Christ and it was mm. the Trinity that, that led me into better understanding the un, you know, union yeah. with Christ. And it then just suddenly, it, the whole Christian life felt like it was in HD. Everything made more sense because of that, that truth. And I had, I'd heard of it and I'd assumed it was... Um, you know, here's one of the other goodies that you have within the yes. the gospel Christmas stocking is, oh, somewhere down the bottom is a thing called union with Christ. Mm-hmm. And I realized union with Christ is the stocking. That's how we have all the blessings that we have as Christians. Mm. And it was as if I could suddenly understand theology, Christian living, in so much more clarity because of that doctrine. Yeah. It just makes sense of, and, and it's all through the Bible. Yeah. Um, I don't know how I've missed it. Huh. Yeah, so that, I, that's been life-changing for me. Yeah, I can resonate so deeply with that because it was a very similar experience for me. Mm. Um, so when you think, and I'd love for us to talk about this together mm-hmm. because it's not like 
there's no one of us here that has not been shaped by the doctrine of union with Christ. Mm-hmm. So, um, but when we think about how the doctrine of union with Christ shapes life, mm-hmm. let's just start as big picture as we can. We'll try yeah. to go, we'll try to dig in a little bit more, but when we just think about what that doctrine is and how it impacts all of life, let's begin there. What does it mean to say that I am united to Christ Jesus? Um, I mean, there's lots of things I, I could say. The thing that I think that is most tangible and almost daily a reality I have to kind of have on repeat is it means when I'm pursuing holiness, I'm not going against the grain of who I really am. Yeah. Because I'm one with Christ, um, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and Galatians 2.20, if right. I remembered it correctly. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think the lie that I so often hear from the evil one is when I'm trying to pursue Christ-likeness, the lie is stop trying to be this other guy that you're clearly not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, union with Christ tells me, actually, no, that's not true. Mm. Um, I will never be most true to who I really am than when I'm pursuing Christ-likeness. So union with Christ, it, it just it's the fuel for holy living. Uh, knowing who I am in him is the foundation for then seeking to live for him. It's the indicative before the imperative. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's that's been huge for me. And it's I'm I'm not trying to put on an outfit that doesn't fit yeah. by by living the Christian life. Yeah. Now I find that many people, and we've talked about this on the show, mm-hmm. the phrase that you just used, and Jen, I know that you you've encountered this as you've taught on this doctrine as well. That phrase of when I'm pursuing union with Christ means that when I'm pursuing holiness, I'm not going against the grain of who right. I truly am. But when we talk about the doctrine of union with Christ, one of the principal things that I often hear is, but, but hold on, I, I'm a terrible, wicked sinner. So when I'm pursuing holiness, I'm actually, I am, I am going against the grain of who I most fundamentally am. We hear that, don't we? Right, because so much of the teaching, at least that I came through the church with, started in Genesis 3. Yeah. And um, when you don't start with anthropology, JT and I, well, you, all of us have had this conversation more than once. When you don't start with anthropology, then you end up with, instead of, you're always managing a sin problem, instead of saying, but what what should it have been like? What will it be like? Yeah. Um, sanctification is the process of becoming who we were meant to be all along. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I grew up with a sense that, and this is, you know, you hear so much about uh, moralistic therapeutic deism, that, that it's, that, and even morality itself is called out as being hollow and empty, but the morality that's hollow and empty is when you're just striving and striving and striving mm. apart from union with Christ. Yeah. Um, when, when we talk about being joined to Christ, what we're saying is that we are becoming who we were created to be. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And recreated to be as yeah, well. Recreated yeah, recreated to be. Yeah. Bovink talks a little bit about this, not to nerd out on Bovink, but but, but of course so, you are. But we are going to. Uh, sometimes we can think about salvation, both justification and sanctification, as what is natural being mm. changed into supernatural, yes. or being changed into something yes. else. And that's what we're talking about. He says it's actually grace perfects nature. Yeah. And so we're actually being restored into who we've always been meant to be, what is natural to us, yeah. is union with Christ, yeah. is Genesis 1 and 2 to be in relationship and in the presence of God. And so being unified with Christ again is actually a restoration project mm-hmm. to perfect our natures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, I don't know how he pulls this off, but 
God can make all of us far more like Jesus without us becoming more like each other. Mm. We mm. become who he always intended us to be. That's we right. don't lose our individual distinctiveness. It actually right. becomes beautified as we become more like Jesus. Mm. And union, of course, is, and as you've already mentioned, Sam, so related to Trinitarianism and the love that exists between the three persons. I was reading John 17 earlier this week, and I this verse, I've never really correlated a union with Christ. It's, the, it's his very last words that Jesus prays. And of course, the high priestly prayer is kind of this rich, deep Trinitarian prayer that Jesus is praying for his disciples. And he says this in John 17, 26, I made known to them your name. So he's made known to the disciples, the name of the father, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So Jesus is saying the way that the father loves the son and the way that the son loves the father is a love that by the power of the spirit is placed in us. And then this becomes the foundation of the Christian life. We love the father the way the son loves the father. Why? Because Christ is in us. We can love the son the way the father loves the son. Why? Because Christ is in us. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the deepest Trinitarian union and fellowship you could possibly imagine. Yeah, that union with Christ doesn't just mean that we are restored even for all of our uniqueness or restored to what we were meant to be or that we can pursue holiness, but that we have been welcomed into the most intimate fellowship we have with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit outside of those three persons. Yeah, so right? like like simple, like just think about this. Like it, it can sound complicated because the words can sound a little confusing, but this is what Jesus is saying. The love with which you have loved me. How much does the father love the son? Like, just think about that. Beloved, beloved. Beloved, Mm -hmm. the son, my son in whom I'm well pleased. Mm -hmm. Like, this is my son. It says that love might be in them. Yeah. And I in them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, it does not get more assuring than that. So, I mean, genuinely, if you're wondering, does God love me? The answer isn't yes. The answer is an emphatic yes. yes. Like there is no question. There is no doubt about it. It is absolutely 100% secured because there's never been a moment in which the father did not delight and rejoice and sing mm-hmm. over his son. Yep. Okay, uh, wait, Trinitarian friends. Help those of us in the cheap seats a little bit because— you talking about Kyle? Yeah. Uh, you know that— <laughs> so, Well, no, I mean like, you know, you'll hear people say um, uh, Christ is in me and— I think it's confusing to people that Christ is in me and the Spirit is in me. Uh-huh. Like, which is it? Is it Christ or is it the Spirit? Can you clear up the fog for us a little bit? It's yeah. Sam. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sam. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus dwells in us by the Spirit. Yeah. I think, is that right? Yeah, that's yeah. what I would say. The Spirit brings us the presence of Christ. So the yeah. Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, yeah. the Spirit yeah. of the Son. There is one God. And you have similar language, John 10, I and the Father are one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Philip asks Jesus, hey, can you show us the Father? How could you not know, mm-hmm. you know, he and I are one? And so whenever we're doing Trinitarianism, we don't want to overemphasize distinction. Mm-hmm. We also want to emphasize the union and the mm-hmm. communion of the three persons. Yeah. And that it's so important for us to understand that <clears throat> when we think about where the emphasis is placed in the New Testament, is it's not untrue to say that the presence of Christ is within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the New Testament is far more emphatic that we are in Christ than that 
he is in us. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times in evangelicalism, particularly in the stage presentation of evangelicalism or the evangelical message of the gospel call, it is invite Christ it's into flipped. your life. And, and yet the gospel call is God is inviting you into his life in Christ. Why do you think it's flipped? <clears throat> well, What it's, impulse is behind that? For it to be actionable. Right. Plus, it, it can be presented with a slight sentimentality of there's there's poor old Jesus outside yes. on his own, knocking, lonely. knocking. Yeah. Come on, let him in. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. No, you're, I think you're absolutely. Sometimes sounds like. No, you're, I think you're absolutely. I right. thought you were going to start singing a hymn for a second. <laughs> 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 well, Jin might. Uh, Jin, Jin might break out in song. The last couple episodes, it's been a bit of a, you know. Waiting for Jen to sing, kind of thing. Do you want me to sing softly and tenderly? <sighs> Maybe afterwards, okay. when we're not on air. Um, well, okay, so... Which was the title of the hymn, by the way, not that I was going to sing softly and tenderly <laughs> I'm glad to you Kyle. Kyle. Just but, for those of you who are not familiar with the hymn, We're roles. not used to you singing hymns. We're used to you singing ACDC, ACDC on this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if, if the doctrine of union with Christ tells us that when we pursue holiness, we're not going against the grain of who God has created and remade us to be. What about when we fail in that or when we falter in that? So I'm pursuing holiness. There is this temptation that I have, um, and I can see it coming, and I know what righteousness looks like, and I know what unrighteousness looks like when it comes to this temptation, and I choose unrighteousness. Am I outside? Do I get the boot? Does... The doctrine of union with Christ only extends so far as I keep the door bolted and shut? No. <laughs> um, no, and it, it's it's the grounds of our assurance. It, it, it is because I am one with Christ that his righteousness can properly be credited to me and my unrighteousness can be, can be taken by him. Um, the atheist Christopher Hitchens used to say that the most unethical tenet of the Christian faith was vicarious atonement because as he understood it, it's someone taking someone else's punishment and that that's unjust. And in one sense, he's right, but union with Christ shows us that actually, you know, like the marital union, the estate of the one legitimately, properly becomes the estate of the other. So if Christ can become my righteousness so that in him I can become the righteousness of God, then actually my stumbling and falling and sinning is doesn't change that we're, we're still one and it actually is the is the means by which i i can't sin my way out of his out of his the csb life council bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors ministry leaders counselors parents couples and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of god's word it includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected christian counselors and scholars visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. 
access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. So if I'm, um, I think about Paul's tension in Romans 6 and 7 that kind of comes to this crescendo in chapter 8. And so if I'm somebody who is right now caught up in the just throes of besetting sin and unfaltering, the doctrine of union with Christ assures me because it reminds me that even in the midst of my failure, Christ's victory is being given to me. Is that right? Yeah. It's definitely right. But I also think you're saying more that you now, since you have—so yes. Yes. Period. And since you're in Christ, you now don't have to be slave to that besetting sin, Mm -hmm. that you have been given the power through Christ in you by the Holy Spirit to pursue holiness. Yeah. And it might not be a day and night type thing and a kind of a quick black and white. Your assurance is. Yeah. But the daily Christian life is one of of messy, stumbling progress as we pursue holiness together. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah we stumble forwards. Yeah, that's right. Uh, another chapter uh, that I think highlights union with Christ well, if people are wanting some of the practicalities of this, I think is Colossians, the whole chapter, Colossians 3. Mm-hmm. I won't read all of it, but really the first portion talks about the life we have in Christ, that we are in him, we've died, our life is now hidden with Christ in God, which then goes into the second section, verses 5 through 11, and talks about how to put things to death. Since now we are alive in him, we get to put to death our former selves. And of yeah. course, that's the daily stumbling, the falling forward, mm-hmm. carrying our crosses and trying to crucify our old desires in the flesh. And then it goes from verse 12 to 17 about life. Therefore, you can have compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, bind love together. Uh, Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Do Mm -hmm. all things in love. So it kind of gives us this, you've been unified with Christ, die to your old self, live to the new self. So union with Christ is certainly beautifully assuring, and it gives us a sense of we will always be right with God. But it also gives us really practical daily living. This is then how this works out in your life. So how does the doctrine of union with Christ shape the way that I pray, right? So how does being in Christ Jesus impact my fellowship with God? I mean, I guess outside of making it available, right? I mean, there is no access to God apart from being in Christ Jesus. But how does this doctrine of being in Christ Jesus shape the way that I pray and that I speak to God and hear from him? I'm looking for a verse. I've, I've recently got a new Bible, so everything's in the wrong place. Isn't it, that, that's like one of the worst feelings in the world. <laughs> I have a new Bible now, if I can't find it. Right, old Bible. the grocery store <laughs> around and you yeah. don't know where the soup is anymore. <laughs> the cookies are always in the middle. You really shouldn't buy soup at the grocery store. Just... <laughs> <laughs> a little shop talk, a little grocery shop talk with Jen. Um, it's really high in sodium. <laughs> oh, here we are. Um, so there's a great verse in, in Galatians 3 where... Paul says in verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, again, the union language there, you are all sons of God through faith. Mm-hmm. For as many of, of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
And it, it reminds me of, um, is it when Esau puts on the clothes of his brother to receive, mm-hmm. to, to trick? Um, when Jacob, Jacob. Mm-hmm. puts on the animal skins. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I knew Esau was in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it's as if we, we come before the Father now clothed in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so he sees us through the lens of the perfect righteousness of his son. We are now in him. We have yeah. put on Christ. Mm-hmm. So I'm not coming before the Father in my name on the basis of how good I am. Yeah. I'm coming before the Father in the name of his son, clothed in his son's righteousness. Yes. So I don't have to try and drum up a rapport between me and God. I'm joining in the rapport that has already existed between that, the father and the son. Right. Yep. Yeah. Good. Yes. And it's, that's why there can be a degree of confidence to our prayer life. Like I think about yeah. Hebrews 10, therefore, brother, since we have confidence in the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he's opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the household of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Just that confidence uh, of of going before the Lord in prayer. I think a lot of times when we talk about vitality in our prayer life, when we think about confidence in our prayer life, there's often that there's almost kind of a... There's a mystique to that. You know, we want to enter in boldly and expectantly, and that's all true, but it's not because of the quality of our prayers or even the strength of our faith, but of, of because of the faithfulness of Christ Jesus. That's right. Right? I think that exact idea, I was looking at another verse, but exactly, exactly what you said could be said of Galatians chapter 4, immediately after what Sam was just talking about. He's talking about this Abrahamic dynasty. We're now sons and daughters in verse Chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says this, Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Mm -hmm. which gives us a great deal of confidence. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So you have this idea of sonship uh, and confidence, vitality and confidence Mm -hmm. placed together as sonship and also being an heir. Everything that's the son that the son, that is the son's, that is his, yeah. is at your disposal. Yeah. Yeah. If he, uh, Romans 8, if God has graciously given us son, how will he not with him graciously give us all, all, all things? things. That's right. I feel like sometimes when we talk about prayer, we talk about, man, we've ended up in the presence of God and we spend much of our time either hat in hand asking as a beggar or confessing that we shouldn't be there in the first place. And yet because that we are in Christ Jesus, we have this confidence to enter in and we're not there by right, by birthright. We're there by adoption, right? Um, and, that, and that the son, we haven't stolen our blessing like Jacob has to Esau, but it has been graciously given to us. So this doctrine of union with Christ, it impacts our pursuit of holiness. It impacts the life of prayer. But I want to talk specifically about how it, how it impacts the conception of self and identity, like who we are is fundamentally we are in Christ Jesus. It is simultaneously the broadest thing that can be said about us and the most specific thing that can be said about us. And right now, it seems like one of the core issues that's kind of in the tectonic plates that are shifting culturally are questions of identity, of who I am fundamentally. Yeah. So when we think about the doctrine of union with Christ, how does that bring hope to a time in which the the very idea of identity is in crisis. It, again, it reminds us that who we most truly are is who we are in Christ. 
So I'm I'm not defined by my feelings. I'm not defined by my attractions. I'm not defined by my temptations, and I'm not defined by my sins. I'm or def- your enneagram type. Or my actually, I don't even know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow, it hasn't made it across the pond yet. <laughs> um, I'm defined by my union with Christ, um, which again is so comforting as a believer because some of our our temptations and sins can feel so you know, deep-seated and inevitable and mm-hmm. permanent, but they're really not. So it, 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 if we get identity wrong, you said earlier it starts with anthropology. If we get our anthropology wrong, mm-hmm. we're going to get Christian living wrong, mm-hmm. um, which is why we, we've got to understand our, where I, our identity is and isn't as Christian believers if we're going to stand a chance of living faithfully for Jesus. If I think I actually am my sin, then that is going to, it's just, that's going to, that's going to injure me as I seek to to live out the Christian life. Because I'll always believe I'm, I'm trying to do something that is alien to who I am. So, it, I mean, this builds into lots of areas, but, but one of them is, is, you know, some of the discussions in the, the wider evangelical world about to what extent Christians should describe themselves as gay Christians if they're same-sex attracted. And I think it really matters because if you see your identity in any part of your fallen nature, you're denying a fundamental truth of the gospel because it's knowing who we are in Jesus that propels us to then live for him. Yeah. So so when we think about... ourselves does that apply also to to the good about us right because there are some things that are that like that we would feel that are deep-seated that aren't aren't bad because i i or or that we wouldn't that there's and very, broken right yeah. right that there's no discussion on them being broken for example like a creative person who's like in, a deeply creative individual would that apply as much to them as it would be for somebody who's struggling with with something else, or another another part that maybe seems either culturally or theologically or biblically off? Would, would the good apply there as well? Is that is the question I'm saying make sense? I, I think so. I mean, my basic point is that no aspect of our fallenness is fundamental to our identity as as mm-hmm. Christians. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Right. We've been made new. There's not been a change in us. There's been a change of us. Yeah. And that's a significant distinction. Right. Um, but it, it means all those original things God built into his design for us right. are still true. Yeah. You, you might be a naturally creative person, and in Christ, that creativity is now something that is offered to God for righteousness and can, mm-hmm. can be right. pressed into his service. Right. But creativity is something that is morally neutral. Mm-hmm. It can be used well. It can be used for evil. Right. Um, Temptation and, and sin are something different. Sure. Mm-hmm. I wonder if gender and sexuality could be used. Like, it, it's good that I was created male. Right. Right. Like, being a male is acting in accordance with my nature, and it's in accordance with being in Christ. Jen is a female. Like, do you see what I'm saying? Is that yeah. kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, I am. Um, and uh, because I'm more interested in this point of the conversation than we probably have time for on mm-hmm. the podcast. Um, but yes, I think that... Um, because there is a larger question over, right? I mean, this is the whole conversation of how much is our sexual identity tied to who we are, right? Um, it's a, this is bigger than we have space for here. But I, we often hear when we talk about what gets pulled in and redeemed in union with Christ, 
as merely, or not merely, but oftentimes the main emphasis are on those things which we would say outside are not morally neutral, mm. right? But the idea of our whole self being fallen, is there anything prior to our life in Christ Jesus that has neutrality? It, like what part of us is morally neutral before we enter into life in Christ? Is there a part of who we are? Morally neutral. Right. Because like, for example, like when we, the example of creativity, if, if we're like, okay, it can be directed one way or the, the other. And its direction is primarily where you would find its redemption or its redemptive focus or its restoration in union with Christ. Are those, is there any aspect of who we are prior to being in Christ Jesus that's just morally flat? That isn't in need of redemption. Yes, that isn't in need of restoration. Because it seems like there are some that get a lot of the stage time. And sexuality Hmm. would be the biggest one, it seems like, in present conversations. But is there some, is there a bank of things or is it all of us? So let me see. Let me see if I can repeat it, yeah. and you guys can talk through it. It's like you're saying without denying like depravity yeah. or original sin, which yeah. you're not wanting to do. Nope. Is it still appropriate to say there are things that are inherently true mm-hmm. about somebody that's not in need of redemption? Yes, that's what you're asking. Yes. Is it all or nothing? I think. I wonder if the category of common grace mm-hmm. can help us here. Yeah. That we would so. obviously argue that there's common grace in creation, like yep. God. Uh, you know, reigns forth mm-hmm. o- over all people. He provides food for all people. Yeah. It's co- those are things that are commonly good about mm-hmm. our world. Or, it, it, are you? And then you're just saying, is that true of a human? Yes. And, and, is there and, things that are that are common to Kyle mm-hmm. that are good? Yeah. Or, or even just neutral? Yeah. It's a great question. Does it does it also help to, um, you know, I I am in Christ, prior to that I was in Adam. Yes. And so. Our understanding of of a doctrine like total depravity isn't saying that every aspect of my life is as bad as it could be, right? Mm-hmm. But it's saying no area of my life is as good as it should be. Yes, sin has tainted every yes. aspect of yes. my life. So there's no area of life that sin hasn't mm-hmm. impacted in some way. Yep. Um, there's no part of my life I can say to Jesus, I don't need help with that. Mm-hmm. But I th- I think what you're asking is different to that. Possibly, I, I guess I'm wondering: Are there um, and and we might have to leave it for the sake well, of time. Maybe another way of putting it is to say God is restoring his image in us yes. through Christ who is the perfect image of God. Right. And there's yeah. no part of us that doesn't need that image restored. Yes, Correct. And also that image wasn't entirely absent before we came to Christ. Yes. Mm-hmm. It yes. was marred, <laughs> marred but it was fractured. Yeah, okay. Okay, let me try an analogy because yeah. I talk about this with in parenting a lot about how the, the thing that is driving you crazy about your child is also probably their greatest strength on their good day. So it, it's kind of, it's the analogy of like JT owns a hammer. The hammer is morally neutral until, you know, but he can use it either to whack someone in the head or he can use it to build a, a birdhouse. And so the potential is there for it to go either way, but the tool itself is something that the Lord has given. Yeah, I can think of um, some friends of mine, their, their son, I've known them since he was three, always just off the chart stubborn. Mm-hmm. So, you know, would do his parents' head in frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, as he was around 14, 15, he started to get bullied at, at high school for being a believer. And his mum said to me one day, I now realise why he was so stubborn. He's resilient. Because now he's being stubborn about being a Christian. Right. And he won't budge an inch. 
Mm-hmm. And she suddenly thought, that, that trait that was such a problem is mm-hmm. now becoming a real gift to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting because I find it in parenting a lot that people try to eradicate the expression of something, but it was really basically it was just something that needed to be guided in a different direction. Redirected, yeah. mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, I, I'm thinking now of Al Walters. He has, uh, in Creation Regained, yes. he, ta- he uses structure and direction language. And um, that the structure of things is sound, but their direction sin has messed with their direction. They're all aimed in the wrong places. Mm -hmm. And that a part of being brought into life in Christ Jesus is a redirection um, of everything Mm -hmm. of the cosmos and of the individual back to its structural intent. Yes. Which I think gets to a little bit. I want to keep chatting about this. We get off the mics. I got a thousand questions for you. Um, so let, let's let's pivot here real quick and get to. I'm going to ask a question from a title of your book. So this is softball, just right. If I'm united with Christ, why should I bother with the church? I'm already in Jesus. Like I got Jesus, and I'm in Him. And you've just told me my future is sure and certain because He is. Why bother with the church? It just seems like a mess here, near and far. Maybe I've been burnt by the church. Why do I need it? Two very obvious reasons flowing from union with Christ. The first is, if you're united to Jesus and I'm united to Jesus, there's something between us now that is unavoidable. Mm-hmm. Um, we're both in him together. Yeah. Yeah. So if if God is my father and he's your father, then we are spiritual siblings. Yeah. The other thing is the Christ to whom we are united loves the church. Yeah. And so we're just not going to, we we can't go on with him and in him without his love becoming our love. Yeah. Um, a really good friend of mine, years ago when he f- met his now wife, I remember meeting her for the first time. They were dating and it was already looking serious. And he said, what do you think of her? And I said, thankfully, truthfully, Gloria, you know, she's she's wonderful. She's a really lovely Christian girl. And as we were chatting, I said to him, what would you have said if I said, I really don't like her very much? <laughs> and he said, well... I probably would have been semi-polite, but I don't think it would have been great for our friendship long run. Mm. And I don't think it's... We're not going to flourish in Jesus if we are disdaining the bride that he loves. Yep. And actually part of what happens is because of our union with Christ, is he rubs off on us. Yep. He is in us. That that makes us more like him. And so part of Christian maturity is is seeing the church with his eyes and loving the church as he loves the church, yep. not to minimize some of the problems and hurts and wounds people may have and wrongs that may have been done by the church. Mm. But you don't, yeah, if, if you're in Christ, you, you don't get Jesus without his bride. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, our practice, and this is why, I mean, communion becomes such an important mm-hmm. event for the church and it's an important event for the Christian life and for discipleship is that's where we're practicing union with yeah. each other and union with Christ. Mm-hmm. And so when Paul talks about taking communion in an unhealth at the Lord's table in an, in a uh, improper way, yeah. we often think that to mean, well, maybe I've got some besetting sin, or I've, you know, did something yesterday I shouldn't have done. And, and there's truth to that. We should we should consider ourselves and, and yeah. make sure that we're again pursuing holiness. But really, what he's talking about most closely there is distinctions and factions. Mm-hmm. We're not they, they were not practicing union with Christ and union with each other because they were saying, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos and some are eating before others get there and yeah. some are having too much and others don't have enough, which is to not practice y- union. Yeah. And so every time we're coming around the table together, 
what we are screaming at the top of our lungs is the gospel truth of union with Christ and union with his body. Yep. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That that gathering becomes a place of reminding us, right, of what is true about us in Christ and reorienting us to who we are in him, right? And that what we do in that gathering, it's signifying that and it's telling that story again and again, right? Yeah. Oh, man, I could talk about this forever. I really could, just into perpetuity. And you've been really charitable with your time. Um, You have a book coming out. And we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, why does God care who I sleep with? When is the release date for that? March 1st. March 1st. So it's right around the corner. So this will probably come out, honestly, uh, right either right before that or mm-hmm. right after that. Um, but if this book is half as good as anything else that you've written, mm-hmm. it will be a must read. That's right. For sure. Uh, and so I just want to thank you for coming on. I want to thank you pleasure. for your ministry to the church in writing and in teaching. You've blessed this church. You've blessed the larger church. And we were tremendously grateful to have you on. Yeah, and I want to thank you guys publicly for this podcast. Um, I've I've lost count of how many people I've got onto this podcast and <laughs> recommended it to, but so uh, thank you for serving us with you, these conversations. Thank you. Do you have the Queen listening yet? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not it's not proper to to speak publicly about interactions we may or may not have. Okay, had <laughs> I received that. <laughs> that's very, gosh, that's very uh, political right there. I love that. For more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. We'll see you next time. Grace and peace.